Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Brendan Glasheen with Action Network's UFC betting previews. They are back. We are back for our second episode. Joining me, two of our very best in the space, Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward. You can find them in the Action Network app. They have great work in the Action Network app, also on actionnetwork.com. This episode breaking down UFC Vegas 69 this weekend at the Apex in Vegas, Looking at some favorite underdogs later in the program, props, also a fight of the night the guys are targeting, and of course, best bets. But first, we'll start with the main event. Uh, Jessica Andrade taking on Aaron Blanchfield. Right now, coming into this thing, uh, Andrade, who Zarillo is coming off a really, really uh, gutsy, long, played-out fight, is is indeed uh, a favorite in this spot coming into Vegas. To me, that kind of makes it head scratching to want to take the favorite here because of what's what Andrade is coming off of here. Jessica Andrade, a very violent fighter, likely future UFC Hall of Famer, but one weakness in her game is takedown defense, and she can get grappled up. And I think that's a potential path to victory for Aaron Blanchfield here. You see a very closely lined fight. I do think, in hindsight, the winner is probably going to look pretty dominant. So. At the end of the fight, the line will not match what it looks like going into the fight, not expecting a drawn-out five-round affair that goes back and forth. I think one fighter is going to have the advantage being able to implement their game on the other. If Aaron Blanchfield can get takedowns, I think she's going to get to dominant positions. As Andrade looks to get up, I think she's going to be able to thread the hooks, take the back, potentially secure dominant control positions, or finish the fight. If she cannot get takedowns, which has happened in the past against other fighters like J.J. Aldrich, who just shrugged her off, got back to the striking. Andrade going to have a serious power advantage in the striking. will be able to pressure Blanchfield, potentially hurt her, if not put her away. So you do see the fight juice pretty heavily to end inside the distance. I do agree with that assessment. No value in that prop for me, though. If I'm going to be betting the fight, I projected the money line right around 50%. So Blanchfield around plus 115 would be the money line side for me. But I actually might prefer her finish props inside the distance around plus 290 and by submission at plus 500. If she has that grappling advantage, maybe gets to a crucifix position like she did against Molly McCann and finishes Jessica Andrade as well. I'm not sure if I mentioned, but she is the bigger fighter, three inches taller, four inch reach upside. So Andrade does have the power advantage, but when they get on the ground, it may be taking those longer rims, lapping or wrapping up. Andrade could be the advantage. 66 reach for Blanchfield to Andrade's 62. Yeah, what I was getting at is the, is the just reading up on this, the, the short notice here for Andrade coming into this is a concern, and that does not match the, like you had mentioned, the takedown defense, the pace at which she fights. Billy, I'm curious if you agree with Zarillo. How do you go about this? And by the way, is I think Zarillo mapped this out. You look at FanDuel or presented by FanDuel. Uh, Blanchfield plus 110 on the money line. Andrade the favorite at minus 134. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the short notice aspect of this. You know, Jessica Andrade just fought, it was either three or four weeks ago, pretty dominant performance against Lauren Murphy, was never really put in trouble. Yeah. But still, you know, you assume after a fight like that, you probably take a week off, rest a little bit, and now she's getting thrown back in. This is a five-round fight because it's the main event. That's what I'm really seeing the biggest advantage for either fighter here is Blanchfield if this one goes long. It's really hard to prepare for that long of a fight, especially on a short notice. She took this on less than a week. And, you know, I agree with Sean that Andrade has the power advantage, that she probably has the early finishing upside. So I could certainly see a case for playing Andrade early and then Blanchfield late. I'm riding with Blanchfield. The line has moved tremendously her way. When this fight was announced, Andrade was minus 180, minus 190, somewhere in that range. So sharp money has been coming in on Blanchfield the whole way. I like her money line. I think, you know, plus 110, plus 115 is fine. I'd bet that down to about even money. If you're looking elsewhere in the market, I also like thinking about trying to get her and over, you know, a certain number of rounds, one and a half, two and a half. That can get you kind of back to that original line we saw for her, or sometimes even better, depending on how aggressive you get. So that just gives you a little bit better odds. I don't think she just comes out and starches Andrade, but she should be able to take over the longer this goes. Bigger fighter, you know, Andrade has said she's going to go back to 115 at some point. Blanchfield's a pretty big 125, carrying all that weight, especially if she gets some takedowns. My prediction how I think this is going to go is Blanchfield late. So however you want to bet based on that angle, I'm okay with it. Money line's fine too as well. All right. So this top 10 fight, main event, fellas are going with the underdog. Now, when you say, just quickly, when you say go Andrage early, is that you saying, all right, maybe get involved with Andrage early on and like bet Blanchfield live potentially, I guess is my question. You could certainly do that if you're watching this one live. You know, if you really wanted to hedge, I have no problem with Andrade in round one. FanDuel has some props where you can bet, you know, a fighter in two different rounds, so you can bet Andrade round one or round two. Long story short, if you told me this one ends in the first round, I'd be pretty convinced that Andrade wins it. I don't think it's going to end in the first round, but if I knew coming in that someone wins in the first round, it's probably Andrade. So if you want to be more conservative with your bets and take both sides of it, it would be Andrade round one or two, you know, Blanchfield later on, Blanchfield live, things like that. When we look at this week's card, Zerillo, who do you like as far as an underdog? What jumps out? Yeah, difficult card for betting purposes, just because there's a lot of fighters coming off a layoff or we don't have tape on in recent years. And one of those fights in particular, Jamal Emmers against Hussein, whose last name I'm going to butcher, hopefully not Askabov. 23-0 Russian fighter. You see that record. It's kind of like a team coming into the NCAA tournament, you know, played a dominant mid-major schedule, beat up on their conference that you don't know anything about. And I'm not really sure how I rate Kusan as a fighter, but his level of competition was very low. He racked up 23 wins against a very low level of opponents. Classic 5-12 matchup. That's what you're talking right here. Yeah, and it, you know, it kind of <laughs> seems like that Jamal Emmer's sort of your mid of the standings, like ACC type of team <laughs> where he's been around the game for a while. Lots of pedigree there. He is coming off of an injury, though, and that is the biggest concern on his side. Got his knee shredded in his last fight in the UFC, but has faced a high level of competition. Very well-rounded. Tends to be competitive with a lot of UFC fighters that you wouldn't think he would be able to be competitive with fights to his level of competition. That could be a bad thing too. Cause he does make some very poor decisions in there at times, low level fight IQ, some bad decisions can put him in trouble even when he's winning fights. But all of those things that I said, well-rounded fighter, he's the bigger man as well. Two inches taller, 
five-inch reach advantage. And frankly, I'm not really sure what Kusain does. That is the main part of his game. He seems to be able to do a bunch of things, but if I had to tell you what his best skill was, I'm not really sure I can identify it. So getting Jamal Emers here, plus 135, by decision, a plus 360 against the guy who tends to finish a lot of his fights. This is a difficult fight to bet, as I said, because you have the long layoff for Kusain. Jamal Emers coming back off of injury, but getting the plus side money of the equation and what I think I would handicap as at least a 50-50 fight, if not make Emers a slight favorite. Do you have a cutoff line as far as what you'd bet it to? Probably do about plus 110. I made Emmers 49%. And then in that decision prop at plus 360, I believe I projected it closer to plus 350 or 250. So around plus 300 by decision. Okay, very good. Billy, how about yourself? You look up and down and are you with Zerolo that this is a challenging uh, card to find underdog edges with some uncertainty? Yeah, definitely. I've struggled to find, you know, there's a couple fights I'm targeting, but can't use those in every single segment. Just keep saying the same thing over and over. Uh, real quick to Sean's point, I've been doing a piece I'm calling the luck rankings or luck ratings for the uh -huh. And I'm trying to look at guys who, you know, get points deducted, lose split decisions that could have gone either way. Emmer's really jumped out to me. He made his UFC debut against Giga Chikadze, lost a split decision, wins his next fight, then fights Pat Sabatini, who's really, really good. Gets caught in a heel hook, which I don't want to say is lucky. Like, that's certainly something that we train for. But it's somewhat fluky. You can't make that happen every single time. It's not something you really plan for. So I'm not necessarily sold on Emmers for this fight, but he's definitely an undervalued fighter by the market, broadly speaking. Mainly just based on strength of schedule, as Sean pointed out with the NCA analogy. But I, as far as, far as my underdogs, I'm looking at Themba Garimbo. Kind of similar to Kusain Askabov. I don't know a ton about him. He's 10 and three, fought lower level of competition, looked pretty good. But he's fighting AJ Fletcher. AJ's 0 and 2 in his UFC career proper. He won his fight on the contender series. This is a welterweight fight, but Fletcher is just not built like a welterweight. He's 5 foot 10. That's fine for the division. He has a 5 foot 7 inch reach, and he's just this short, little, stubby kind of T Rex arms guy. It just really doesn't play well against these big, long guys that he's going to be fighting. I, I really can't see a case for. Fletcher being minus 280, minus 290, that kind of line against pretty much anyone. So if you can get plus 250 on his opponent, who looks solid, you know, he's the number one welterweight in South Africa for whatever that's worth. I, I just really have a hard time seeing Fletcher at that long of odds. Fletcher gas is really hard in every fight, too. If you can get his opponent live after round one, or there's, you know, as, as Billy mentioned with the main event, playing late props, I would definitely take his opponent round two, round three props as well might interest me. All right, we have top props coming up on the pod. I've got your article pulled up now, Billy. We can get to this in a moment when we turn our attention to uh, Jim Miller, Alexander Hernandez. We know Miller, his history, what he means to UFC. Miller is, I have it right here, Jim Miller is on FanDuel plus 186. Alex Hernandez minus 235. So, Billy, I'll go to you first on this one just because you brought up the uh, the luck ratings. Because now, now I'm intrigued. And I didn't on purpose say, aha, I read your article and you use the word aha in the first sentence. So now I'm intrigued. Check it out over on the Action Network app on the website. So you think Miller is undervalued at this number? To a degree. And, you know, obviously I'm not expecting you to read all of this live while also conducting a podcast. But I'll, I'll live. I'll be fine. <laughs> but my, my general thought is Miller is just a really good early fighter. 
His last seven wins have all came within the first six or seven minutes of fights. Most of his losses are by decisions. No, he's not fighting great competition, but no, Alexander Hernandez is not great competition. Similar to what I said about Andrade earlier, if you told me that this fight ends in the first half of it, and I that's all I know going in, I'm laying the house on Jim Miller. So FanDuel, again, with their, you know, pick two different rounds props, you can get Miller round one or round two at plus 380. I'm tempted to just say take the first round, but he's won his last three in a row early into the second. Sometimes it helps you get that minute on the stool to recover a little bit, come back out. And that's pretty much it for Jim Miller after that first minute or two in the second round. So if you're watching it, definitely a great live spot on Hernandez. I think Sean's going to mention some Hernandez late angles here. But again, if you think it's going to end early, it's almost certainly Jim Miller that does it. He's going to come out really hard, either put the guy away or not, and then probably fade. Zerillo, are you going to fade the lack of consistency, the lack of conditioning that surrounds Hernandez against Miller? Yeah, I think there's some significant cardio concerns on both sides. You know, Hernandez tends to get finished in round two. He also has about six or seven minutes of gas. But to Billy's point, Jim Miller hasn't won a decision since 2016. He is definitely up there in age. He has Lyme disease, so he tends to fade fairly quickly into his fights in general just because he can't keep it going. And he's older. He has the most fights in UFC history, I believe. Most wins in UFC history will probably be in the UFC Hall of Fame one day. Jim Miller is an absolute legend. The one thing I think is going to be an issue for him, aside from athleticism, because from the jump, the pure athleticism gap is going to be huge. Hernandez is going to be much faster. Miller has 47% takedown defense, typically because when he gets taken down, he jumps guillotine. If he gets it, fight ender. If he And he's got a great guillotine. If he doesn't, he's going to get stuck on his back. And he's good defensive jujitsu. I think Hernandez probably top times him for the latter part of the fight, especially the second half of the fight. I think they're both going to be tired, but I think that athleticism gap, the wrestling advantage for Hernandez down the stretch is going to be the difference maker. I do like Hernandez on the money line. I think Jim Miller is going to need a guillotine or going to need a club and sub in order to finish him, as Billy said, in the first six and a half minutes, or it's going to be a pretty wide Hernandez decision, if not a Hernandez finish. So Hernandez on the money line, I made him closer to minus 275. There's some minus 225 out there. I think you could throw him in a parlay. Felipe Lin's another guy I like in the card. I think you could get, you know, a small little parlay around even money on those two. Or Hernandez by decision at plus 320, I think is the best way to bet this fight. Miller surviving, both guys tiring out down the stretch. Miller, UFC's all-time leader in appearances. He's got a three-game, uh, three-match win streak uh, coming into this uh, this particular fight. So, and he's got 40 appearances under his belt at 40 years old. Real quick on that one. I believe FanDuel offers lines where you can get a round three win or a decision. You get both of those in there. That's, I think, a really strong and a really good option to have for uh, Alex Hernandez here against Miller. Okay, on to the prop market. We will go to Zerillo first. And uh, as Billy said earlier, you've got some spots here that you like. Yeah, I actually just mentioned Felipe Linz liking him as a parlay piece with Alexander Hernandez. Well, Linz in the prop market, I think, is the better way to play him against Ovin St. Pru. St. Pru, a potential retirement fight here. He looks completely shot. His last fight was, was against Mauricio Shogunhua. He actually won that decision. Watching it back, probably should have lost the fight. And then we see Shogun come out in his retirement fight, get immediately deaded by Ihor Proteria. OSP and Shogun, they were just two wash fighters kind of hanging around with each other. I think if you put them in there with any competent 
UFC level fighter at this point. They're in bad trouble. OSP prior to that Shogun fight, two bad knockout losses as well. He just looks completely physically shot. Lynn's a bigger guy, leaps and bounds, a better technical striker. I think he has him covered in the pocket specifically. OSP generally doesn't hang out in the pocket, tends to play the outside game. But as I mentioned, that movement is gone. I think Lynn's is going to track him down at some point. Doesn't really push a high pace, but I think one or two big connections could be enough. So Lynn's by knockout of plus 250 inside the distance, plus 185. I think both solid props. I'll also be part of laying Lynn's up as well. Billy, you're going a different direction. You got a big plus money play for us. Yeah, I'm reaching real long on this one, but I think there's an angle to it. Uh, Josh Parisian is coming back. He had his last fight canceled because he was having heart palpitations and running off to the hospital and all this stuff, which scary situation. You know, he came out and gave an interview saying what this fight means to him, all of that. He's from a camp here in Michigan that's known for its really good grappling ability. If you look at his finishes, mostly ground and pound in submissions, He's fighting Jamal Pogues, UFC debuter. Two of his three losses are by submission. Doesn't seem to have that high level of jujitsu. These are big guys. There's obviously the risk that if Parisian uses his grappling, he just uses it to beat him up. But his sub submission lines are as high as plus 1,800. That's a really, really long line for a guy who's a better grappler than he is striker. Parisian is going to be in trouble if this is a pure striking match. But we're in the UFC Apex Center. It's a little cage. Similar to what Sean was saying about tracking the guy down and corralling him. There's not really anywhere to run or stay at range here in the small cage. So if Parisian can grab him, get a hold of him, he's far and away, I think, the better submission grappler here. The risk, of course, is that he just beats him up instead of using the submissions. But at plus 1,800, that's really hard to pass up on. Parisian, also a true heavyweight. Pogues is not, I think, more of a natural light heavyweight. And with the heavyweights, sometimes all it takes is for the bigger guy to get on top. And that could be the fight. Yeah, and, you know, just the odds of that are way higher in the small cage than they are in, you know, the pay-per-view cage. So that's an angle I've been looking at a lot for some of the fights this week. And for context, Parisian on the money line around plus 200, plus 210, um, where you can find it over on FanDuel. Okay, finally, as we always do, we close with best bets. Zarello, you can go first. Lena Landsberg, Myra Buena Silva. It is a woman's bantamweight fight to go to decision at minus 132. The divisional average for women's bantamweight is closer to 60%. So your average line for this weight class should be around minus 150. Now, as Billy mentioned, we are in the smaller cage. Could take about 5% off. Do get roughly to where the line is. But I do think the finishing average for this fight will be below the divisional average for the weight class. Not a ton of standing knockout power. For either fighter, I think the finish, biggest finishing threat is Bueno Silva via armbar. Thing is, she never has completed a takedown in the UFC. If anybody's going to proactively grapple here, it's likely Landsberg. Landsberg, a very durable fighter. I think she's going to be outclassed athletically. She's pushing 41 years old, may get in trouble standing just based on the speed dif- disadvantage, but she's very durable. I expect this one to go to the scorecard slightly more often. Then the odds suggest I made this line about minus 155. You can also consider betting Landsberg by decision, plus 550, maybe a small sprinkle, or her money line at plus 400. If this is a slow-paced, drawn-out striking affair, might be a split decision on the scorecards. Okay, Billy, again, with your best bet, you, uh, you're you using your luck rankings, luck ratings, 
they're not rankings, they're ratings. Tier, Either tier one. I, I haven't really settled in on exactly what we're going to call this. Well, I think we, I think what I've started to find out, see again, reading, you're, you're, you're making your point, reading the article and try to do a podcast at the same time. But I will, I will say this might need to be a new segment. We need to get the, the best edge Billy finds in the, uh, with the luck ratings. Go ahead. Yeah. So definitely referencing that one with the pick, I'm looking at William Knight's money line. If you read the article, the lines I reference in there are a little bit better on night than what we're getting right now which kind of goes to my point since the market is moving in his direction. Knight is three and one in the UFC is a light heavyweight. He stepped out of the division twice last year. Once was a catchweight on short notice. Once was a heavyweight fight showed up at like 250 pounds for that one. So definitely pay attention to the weigh-ins, which will hopefully have happened by the time you're hearing this one. If he looks good on the scales and there's absolutely no way this guy makes 205. I don't understand how it happens, but he's done it every single time. But if he looks good on the scales, I think he's a far better fighter than Marcin Prachnio. The big knock on Knight in his last two fights is he just faded really heavily down the stretch. But part of that is because he's carrying all that extra weight at heavyweight. And I don't know if people are aware of this, but the process of losing weight for a lot of fighters involves a lot of extra cardio, you know, morning runs, doing that kind of thing. So not only is that what he's doing to lose the weight, which will make him able to last longer, but it also, you know, expands that gas tank as well as making him more fuel efficient to make the yeah, I, I'm not normally like a wait for weigh-ins guy, but I think Billy's dead on here. Uh, Knight had COVID at one point too, lost a bunch of weight, gained a bunch of it back, missed weight badly at light heavyweight. His weight has been all over the place. He's a huge guy. He's 34 years old. Definitely keep an eye on weigh-ins prior to betting this one. He's like Christian Bale getting ready for a movie. You just don't know what you're going to get. It is it is like 80-pound fluctuations for this guy. It's like going from the machinist to Batman back to the machinist, so... Not great. All right, fellas. Good stuff. That'll do it for the UFC Vegas 69 betting preview. Again, it's at the Apex in Vegas. That'll do it here on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Find more from Sean and Billy over on the Action Network website. Don't forget to download the free award-winning Action Network app. You can follow these guys, track their picks, etc. Also, be sure to check out the Action Network podcast for our NBA All-Star Weekend betting preview not just the game itself. Of course, we got to find out who gets on what team based on that live draft on the court. And uh, also the weekend festivities, three-point shootout, dunk contests, etc. We'll see you next time on the Action Network podcast. You all have a great weekend. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.